All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast review for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It is a Saturday, May 6th. I saw it last night with Papa Bizzle. So, of course, who would I bring on for this? None other than <laughs> Papa B himself, Papa Bizzle. Hey, guys. Great to be back. Great to have you back. Um, this was a movie that, you know, we, we knew since the first one came out and they announced the sequel that we would see it together whenever it happens. Right. Neither of us were kind of crazy about the trailers. Right. Um, and uh, do you mind if I just give a, a quick update of, of the box office for the first weekend so far, and then we'll, we'll dive into it? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I, I'd like to hear that. Um, all right, Dad. So just really quickly, uh, The Guardians was supposed to make, um, well, the, the optimistic estimates estimates were up to $200 million opening domestic for Guardians, which would put it in Avengers territory, um, or Iron Man 3, uh, close to Captain America Civil War territory. It looks like it's going to be a little bit less than that, more in the 140 range, which is still very respectable. And if it's like the first movie at all, um, and people are liking it, and it becomes like a rewatchable type thing, um, then it, it, it'll have have a lot of good weekends ahead of it, um, but it, it opened up less than Beauty and the Beast, which is at like the 1.1 billion mark. So I think my initial prediction that it would be over a billion may be true, but I don't think it's going to hit Avengers territory. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as we've seen since 2012, um, you know, since the first Avengers blew up, uh, comic book movies are doing better and better overseas. So it's possible that it, it, it will actually do much better than the original one overseas. So we'll have to wait on the money stuff, but it's certainly not blowing up any records uh, domestically. Now, there's a lot of reviews out there. Um, I posted the Inquirer review, which was sort of so-so about it online. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we saw it last night. Um, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score uh, for um, reviewers, for critics, is 81%, which is very strong, at a 7.1 mm-hmm. out of 10, which is basically, I gave it three and a half stars out of five, so that's exactly the same. I gave it yes. a 7 out of 10, basically. Um, audience score is very high so far, 89% like it, average rating of 4.3 out of 5, with 65,000 user ratings always hard to know what's going on there so i have sort of mixed feelings about this film dad and um there's a cool list online uh from comicbookresources.com about uh, eight things that worked in the movie and seven that didn't and i think this Mm. would be a good way for us to just structure it so we can not go too long and be kind of specific with our our critiques and our thoughts but any overall thoughts about the movie in terms of your expectations before we dive in in terms of my expectations before going in. You and I were both kind of yes. nervous that we weren't going to like the movie. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see how it could be as, as fresh and, um, and uh, you know, so you know, excitingly kind of new and different. And I didn't see how the humor could hold up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was, you know, I was mildly skeptical go- going in. I would say mildly to moderately skeptical going in. I think it helped. And part of the reason I wanted us to see it opening weekend at like a big theater was that I was pretty confident we'd have a good crowd. And usually at the rave for these kind of movies, we've mostly had really good crowds. Yes, we saw we it in, in West Philadelphia at one of our favorite theaters, University City at the rave, which is, you know, it's a... Um, it, it plays mainstream movies and has very high quality, you know, theaters, but is sort of an indie or semi-indie uh uh, institution so it's just it feels i don't know it's just kind of comfortable it's got low lighting it's kind of loungy in there you can get coffee and craft beer and stuff like that you know it's, it has like a nice sort of, sort of vibe for a theater anyways we had a great crowd 
Um, yes. A lot of young people, people different ages, uh, genders, you know, um, people were really into the movie. And I, I think like with the first movie, for me, it helped me get into some of the humor that doesn't always hit for me because people in the crowd were into it. Mm-hmm. Although probably my biggest laugh of the movie, nobody laughed. Right. And that we'll, was so weird that, that yeah. no, nobody laughed at that gag. I think I think everyone likes Zoe Saldana, but I, I think I appreciate her humor more than most, perhaps. Mm. Uh, I'll, maybe we'll save that for later, because I just started laughing so loud, and nobody laughed, so I tried to stop myself, and I had to turn to you and be like... Was that fu- was that not funny? And you were like, "No, it was funny." I was like, "Okay." Yeah, it was it was a great and obvious piece of uh, of, of physical comedy. I mean, yeah. it was just it was just I don't know why nobody laughed. It was so yeah. obvious and and earned after almost two full movies of that character who you've gotten to know and love. Right. That, that's exactly what she would do. But um, so yeah, so I, there were certainly a lot of jokes that didn't hit with me, and then there were some that I was laughing with everyone, and there was other ones that you know I laughed at, and not, or that you and I were laughing at that not everyone else was laughing at. Right. Um, also, though, you and I, I think uh, when we saw Logan opening weekend, we 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 were uh, on the way same wavelength of the dark humor of that movie more than a lot of the other people there. Yes, but that's you know that's a more complex m- movie, and I yeah. can understand why you know some people would be in the mode of well, this is deadly serious, and there's nothing to laugh at, yeah. and miss some of the black humor. So yeah. I think it, you know Logan's more difficult, but this. You know, this is more like cotton candy. It should be pretty easy to yeah. to get. And, and I, I will admit, laughing at some of the the hijinks between Patrick Stewart going crazy and Logan, you know, uh, just being wild animal um, in Logan. I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be funny. I thought it was. I just know Patrick Stewart very well. That's that helped me. But certainly in our second viewing of Logan, I, I felt more confident that that stuff early on that was supposed to be funny was indeed funny. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so this is a great discussion that we we're not going to have time for here. Is you know what is funny these days? You know, mm, I mean, mm. Guardians is considered the gold standard. You know, um, but some of the jokes are are just a little too on the nose, um, trying a little too hard. It was kind of endearing in the first one and in this one it seemed like they were trying to double down on pretty much everything maybe we'll just get into the list was that you know my, my biggest complaint is is a general um it, you know problem i have which was just that it you know it, it looked at all the things that people liked in the first one and they just did more of it you know and that 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 philosophy doesn't always work in filmmaking it doesn't matter the genre that's for sure that's yeah. for sure, right? You know, I, I think I, I, really they played it safe, um, and this feeds into some people's um, criticism of Marvel Studios in general, which is that they encourage playing it safe to a certain degree with these movies, um, and uh, and so I, I, I'm not saying James Gunn was forced to do things the same way, but you know, I certainly think that that Disney is going to stick with formulas that work because you know yeah. they'd rather be assured of a certain amount of income rather than take too many chances other than, you know, I think the Star Wars movies were, as we've talked about and I've talked about, it seems they're giving the Star Wars movies more leeway in terms of artistic license. You think? It, well, at least with Rogue One, you know, to mm. go so adult and dark in a Star mm. Wars film, you know, yeah. um, and have characters that are not your normal Disney characters, you know, I mean... Like, look, Diego Luna, for instance, uh, in, in Rogue One, I mean, you never see a Disney character like that in any of the properties. A good guy who kills other good guys, I mean, it's just, you know, right, you right. just don't see it. 
Um, and so um, my other main complaint is that the middle part of this movie was pretty much the whole movie, and it was really slow. I mean, there's tons of action in the beginning and in the end. Yeah. And uh, so, um, and that works into our first point. So this is from CBR.com, people. So, Dad and, and listeners, keep in mind, this is from comic book people. So mm-hmm. some of these complaints are going to have to do with its correlation or connection with comic the, the Guardians comic books and comic books in general. But I actually thought most of these worked as film critiques um, as well as, you know, as comic okay. book critiques. So the first one, um, and it goes back and forth between, between positive and negative, they start with a positive. They say the overall spectacle w- worked. And they say the movie CGI blows away any of the Star Wars or Star Trek movies so far. Now, I specifically said to you after this movie that I thought it was not nearly as good as the Star Wars and Star Trek movies. Yeah. And we were not sure whether it was because we were seeing it on sort of a small 2D screen, and perhaps they made this for 3D, and it would look better on 3D. Thoughts? Well, I didn't like like the uh, artistic part of you know the graphical part of the movie i think it, it, it would be based on my complaints about it, i bet it'd be even worse in, in 3d i thought it was like they they tried to get inspired by maybe doing a mushroom and watching the wizard of oz and then t- taking that times 10 i mean it was yeah. just way over colored way over orchestrated yeah. i hated his i hated his planet mm-hmm. the ego's planet i mean it was just too much it was just way way too, too much with that with that uh with that planet and i mean i i didn't even, i didn't even like the the sovereign gold people yeah you know it, yeah. i just couldn't connect with with the the user the graphic user interface yes <laughs> yes i think the problem is you can have shiny looking p- people or shiny looking locations but if you have both it's way too much Yes. Like if they had taken the gold people, but they had been in a more industrial looking uh, environment, for example. And that's why I think the Star Trek movies work so well. Going way back to the old days is that, you know, as crazy as the aliens can look, ultimately they're on these very utilitarian kind of ships and star bases and stuff like that. Right. And Star Wars even more. I mean, Lucas specifically created Star Wars to have a, a lived in, used, you know, every, every ship is, you know, one jump away from not working anymore kind of look and feel to it, which I much prefer. Yeah. And that's why I think Thor the Ragnarok is going to really resonate with all these audiences because it does have colorful characters, but you can tell from the, the trailer, which by the way, dad, how that was maybe my favorite part of the night was seeing Thor Ragnarok trailer on the big screen. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. I mean, if you think Kate Blanchett looks great on your computer, wait till you see her on the big screen. as hella. Jesus Christ. Um, but it is colorful, but it has a little bit of a darker uh, feel to it in terms of the spaceships and the planets. Even the fight against Hulk in the arena, you can tell, looks a little bit more like a normal gladiatorial arena as this is such blown out. Col- I mean, this made Avatar look like yeah. colorless. It was... Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was I mean, I, I didn't even like the, uh, the, the jump back to 19. 19- 80 with the the old uh, beater convertible and how he looked yeah. I, I, I just it's possible it was just had it, a bad print the sound was muddy in the theater i don't know it's hard to oh uh, uh, huh. yeah it's hard to know sometimes the reels just aren't aren't there um 
we're, we're sort of right on our own on, our own on, on this particular criticism. We'll move on to the next one, Dad. I, I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot of people complain about the special effects. So it's either just not our aesthetic. I mean, let's be honest. We didn't love the Doctor Strange LSD trip thing either that much. Exactly right. Right. You right. know, none of that stuff ever looks as cool as you think it's going to. And yeah. a little bit of trippiness goes a long way. And too much That's of right. it, it just, you know, it, it heads back in the other direction. <laughs> this was way overboard, I thought. Yeah. I think Taika Waititi knows, is going to know what to do. Um, I would right. It, it seems quite apparent, you know that that's going to be that's going to be the case. So, um, okay. So first, didn't work. Ego the villain. <laughs> Kurt Russell was not terrible. He and, was not terrible. Yes, was not terrible. Right. And I think if it, you know it, the, um, the, the the in my humorous universe, his tombstone will read, "He was pretty good." you know i mean most kurt russell and by the way we totally missed that tango and cash were both in the film yeah i I didn't get that until i read some of the stuff afterwards right Uh, you know i mean i loved his escape from new york and escape from la movies back in the day as cheesy as they were if you watch the original Stargate film, which we saw in the theater when I was a kid, love that movie. Um, it, you know the the whole notion of the Stargate and the the Egyptians being gods from another planet and so forth. Uh, when you look back on it, it's James Spader is by far the best part of that film. Kurt Russell looks mm-hmm. really like drugged out the whole time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I was excited for him to be sort of uh, over emotive in this movie, which is not normally his mo. And it actually worked for me for like thirty minutes. And then the next 50 minutes of it, it just got tiring. All of his exposition and smiling and you knew that he was going to be a bad guy and they were just yeah. waiting on it. I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think one of the reviews I read said that uh, Darth Vader makes uh, Kurt Russell look, look humorless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just, it, you know, it was kind of two-dimensional. and uh, Marvel's, Marvel's villain problem continues. The thing yes. is... Right. What do I always say about villains? If you're going to be two-dimensional, make it look and act fucking awesome. Yeah. A lot of people complained about Ronan from the first movie. but no, I, I thought he was good. I really like Ronan. So good. And the fact that they have that huge you know, final scene with the, with the orb spinning, but, but leading up to that is the dance-off competition. I mean, there yes. was nothing like the dance-off competition in this movie. That's right. And, and you realize with Kurt Russell, let's just go along with it and say that he was close to a three-dimensional bad guy, even if he wasn't. Let's just say mm-hmm. that's what they were trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Well, the Guardians actually work better with, with one-dimensional and two-dimensional bad guys because it brings out the humanity in them in contrast. Right. You know, having this ambiguous, you know, guy who was, who was sort of ambiguous in terms of his evilness up until the very end, it was just like tons of spoken exposition. And then this twist that felt very forced, I thought. Yes. There, there, I think there were a lot of, you know, my biggest complaint about the whole movie is plot related. So yeah. I, I, you know, I think the biggest problems are with, with the plot and there's yeah. a lot of forced stuff, and, but we yeah. will, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, and you know, of course I think the, the biggest problem though with his character, other than maybe not the best casting in the world being, you know, not feeling like one world and being too colorful and blah, 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 blah. Um, was that if you ask Star Wars fans, the thing that continues to annoy them, even with the new movies, if they like them, is that it's always about daddy issues, ultimately. 
<laughs> yeah, the, at one yeah. At, at one point, or maybe eleven points during the movie, I was going to turn to you and whisper, "Edible schmedible." Yeah, totally. And <laughs> uh, you know, and it's it's ironic, but also kind of disappointing that Guardians, which is sort of the anti Star Wars. Um, which I like because I love space operas, but I don't want them all to feel like Star Wars, you know? Like, sure, s- the sure. Serenity Firefly world feels different. The Star Trek universe is very different. I mean, it was out before Star Wars ever came out, you know? Like, I like them all to be distinct. Mm-hmm. And to then have, you know, the, the daddy issue thing come into Guardians and play out so long in, in, in such kind of a sappy way, I, I thought was was a bad decision. It, it really... Um it really kind of uh, emasculated the whole Quill character for, for, for a lot of the movie. Yep. Um, he just wasn't the Peter Quill that he was in volume one. Yep. He wasn't that, you know, swashbuckling guy. Yep. Um, yeah, and that's, that was one of the complaints in the Philadelphia Inquirer review, uh, which gave it two and a half out of five stars, which is still technically, and this is important, it's still technically a, a, a fresh rating and not a rotten rating. Uh-huh. Which is why I think that 81% is a little inflated, because I bet you yeah. there's more two and a half out of four or more three out of five star reviews out there than maybe we're being led to believe. Yes. Um, but he did point out that, yeah, that we, I mean, we didn't see much action or comedy from Chris Pratt in this movie, and it's not really clear why. Right, right. Um, okay, so number 13, they say what worked is the humor, and I will give it to it. This was certainly one of those low yield but high volume. Uh, but because there was such a high volume of jokes, it actually was funnier, and I found myself laughing more than I thought I was going to. I had no problem with with the humor. I mean, if I was going to pick a nit, I would say that Dra- they 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 tried too hard to make Drax funny. Yep. Um, and we'll tie this in two- with the next one. And I want you to keep going. Okay. The, num- the number twelve uh, didn't work as diluting Drax. Yeah. Oh. oh okay. They, they 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 made him just comedic, and we didn't get to see him be such a vicious fighter, which was an important part of his character. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. right except for the first five minutes of the movie, right. where he jumps into the mouth of that beast, <laughs> and <laughs> and Zoe's the one who kills it, of course. Yeah. Right. 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 I actually thought Drax was way funnier in this than I was expecting. Early on, it felt like, oh my god, this is the same Drax. But through his relationship with Mantis, he got increasingly funny for me as the movie went along. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if I need that much humor from the Drax character, but for the most part, it it, it was yep. it was fine. Well, it also worked for me because, you know, he... His his species takes everything literally. That's the big joke in the first movie in the beginning of this. Yes. He, he, you know, there's no subtext literally in his brain. Like it, right. it's, the fact that he was started learning, uh, and this will be my first Star Trek connection. Having an alien start to learn to be more human, or uh, in Star Trek, also having humans learn to think like uh, n- non-humans is an important part of Star Trek. And I like that Drax did sort of learn and grow in this mm-hmm. movie. And one of my yes. general things I did like in the film was the growth of, of a lot of the characters. Um, and we'll we'll get to some in specific and whether it's forced or not. Okay. Um. I think in terms of humor, humor, Baby Groot definitely lived up to the billing and was hysterical. Hysterical. Yeah, I mean, just, and and you know, and endearing, and very endearing. Yeah, right. And uh, so, um, yeah, so Drax, um, as as CBR dot com says, we didn't pay to see Drax the comedian overdoing it on the jokes when he should have actually been slicing and dicing. 
<laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. good. That's good. Okay, so number 11 worked. I think we're both going to agree this is maybe the thing that worked the best, which is the emotionality of Yandu's death. Oh, I I, I loved Yandu for the whole the whole movie. He's I thought best. he was like the, the best thing going for this movie. Some people say he's the best thing going in the first movie too. I mean, Michael Rooker yes. is just a force of nature. Yeah, he's that's a great great character mm-hmm. and he was more uh, three-dimensional in this one. Um and I loved the ending, you know, I love what you just said, the uh his death. It was great. And uh what was awesome too is that, you know, his his number 2, Craglin, who's played oh. by the director's brother, Sean Gunn, uh, oh. who was also hysterical in the first film, they doubled down on that character and had him go through an emotional journey too that made Yandu's ultimate sacrifice even more touching, I thought. He, he was spectacular. I yeah. love that I don't even remember him from the first one. Yeah. But he's so m- memorable in this one. I loved Craglin. He was he was the guy that uh, in the first movie that uh, that would always follow up what the captain said by saying the oh. same thing again but dumber. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. You know, like it, early yeah. on in the first one, um, uh, they're in the uh, what's the guy? What's the alien's name who has all the artifacts? Not the collector, Benicio del Toro, or early on oh. the broker. Oh. And oh, Yandu right. is making comments about, you know, like in yeah. these little baubles and, and, uh, and the, uh, the broker oh, yes. goes, I can't tell if you're being, if you're being serious. And then James, uh, Sean Gunn just goes, nope, Captain being fully serious. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And whenever the captain's going to make an announcement, he's like, Captain gotta say stuff. <laughs> Right, right. He's he's a real actor, by the way. I mean, obviously, he had a foot in the door already, being the brothers, the the the, the director's brother. But um, also, he he did the the walking movement for Rocket in the first film. I don't know if they oh, had him yeah. do that again but, here. Right, um, right. But no, uh, I I would have been surprised if you told me that he wasn't a real actor and and got in only because he was the bro. Because no, I I felt his his acting chops were really good. Yeah, and he's going to be with the Guardians, like in the final Avengers battle or whatever. Oh, okay. But it was very emotional, and even after the whole movie felt drawn out in various ways, it 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 almost helped that the Yandu thing was drawn out because we we got to see real emotion uh, with all the characters together for the first time. And yes. before I get to the next point, another thing is. You know, when you break up your characters early in a movie and decide that certain characters are going to pair off or trio off or whatever, yes, this happened in Star Trek Beyond. Yes, it did. Right. And even though Star Trek Beyond really underperformed in the box office, most experts will tell you that's because of the horrible marketing campaign and the fact the Star Trek franchise has been in limbo for decades. Mm-hmm. And you know, Paramount and CBS just doesn't know what to do with that property, mm-hmm. even though it's full of famous stars like Zoe Saldana and Chris Pine and so forth. And just wasn't marketed well. I thought that mm. was of all the movies, uh, of all the movies that really underperformed last summer that made like less than five hundred million worldwide. That was mm. the highest rated by both critics and users by far. I mean, yeah. you know, Warcraft bombed and X Men Apocalypse bombed, but they got terrible reviews. Star Trek Beyond got excellent reviews. It all, was good all around. It was good, and I saw it a second time and really liked it. And they broke off into pairs on that movie, but it really worked in that film for me. The, the, you know, especially um, seeing Zach Quinto as Spock and Carl Urban as as Doctor as McCoy as Bones right. were, were excellent together in their pairing. And then, of course, the highlight I think was was Scotty with with, with Jayla, that new alien chick. 
Right. Um, that was great. Was that really, was great. Really good. Um, here, it, it, I just wanted them to get back together. You know, it seems so clear that, that that in the writing process, they're like, okay, these characters are going to go here, and these characters are going to go here, and because it took so long for them to come back together, I don't know. I think if they had just cut out twenty minutes of the planet uh, with Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. And had the reveal about him being evil earlier and made the final battle longer, it would have solved a lot of problems. I see, right? That's what I would have done. Okay. Mm. So the next point, oh, uh, what they say didn't work. I, I kind of disagree, which was they, they didn't think Mantis worked. Um, I thought she brought a really quirky sense of humor, unintentional humor to the movie. Um, there, there were some, some maybe things more they could have done with the character, but her her relationship with Drax was one of the more interesting parts of what was going on on the planet. Yeah, but mostly from Drax's side, right. I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought the way he was reacting to her, a lot of the humor came out of that. A lot of the Drac- Draxian humor came out of that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I kind of agree with the with the okay. reviewer on this. Um, yeah. She left me a l- little bit cold. I thought it was a little bit sophomoric. Uh-huh. Um, the whole emotive thing i don't know yeah. uh it, it, it she, she didn't work that well for for me well the, you know those those kind of characters work really well in star trek both how she looks yes. and yes the, and the um you know vulcans can have the empathic power and you had counselor troy in star trek the next generation played by right. marina sirtis who who you know had had some tel, uh, telepathic and empathic powers it works with the x-men really well um but with mm-hmm. this movie, that's really all about, again, not having a lot of subtext and just being on the surface. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, it was a little discordant. But I don't blame the actress at all. I actually think not, it, no, it could no, have she, gone she into really campy territory with a bad performance. She yeah, was no, trying to she, do everything she could. She was absolutely fine um, playing the, the empath. Yeah. She was fine. And, and she's similar in the comic books, but she just has way more motivation that's you know, that we know about and, um, and where her actions are coming from and her backstory. Maybe we'll get that in the next movie. But, um, yeah, it seemed like instead of all, they could have cut back on some Kurt Russell exposition, had more exposition from her about where she came from and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and what her relationship to him was, had been all about historically. Yeah. Um, so worked, uh, the music, uh, I mostly agree that the music was quite good, both the sound, both the score and the soundtrack. Agreed. Um, especially, um, they played the Fleetwood Mac song twice, I think. You're right. There was a callback. I believe, that song, I believe that song is called Chain or Chained. That's a very famous Fleetwood Mac song. Um, yep. Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Props to me for recognizing that. Um, Absolutely. And Sam Cooke's uh, Bring It On Home to Me. Uh, yeah, was great, um, but the Cat Stevens uh, with the, the Zune gag at the end with Cat Stevens was was both funny and touching, which is exactly how the first movie ended, where he opens his present from his mom twenty six yeah. years later, and it's awesome mix volume two, yeah, and he's yeah. listening to it on his Walkman and kind of crying a little bit. Yeah, this, there's no way this could live up to it because the the, the callbacks to his mom in the first movie are so touching. Um, mm-hmm. But this was a pretty good attempt at, at, at trying to follow that with a, a musical cue. Uh, and this time it was Cat Stevens. My, my only criticism of the movie, uh, of the music, and it might be more a criticism of me than um, <clears throat> what they did with the music, was I was startled when I didn't recognize uh, two, maybe three songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely did not recognize them from, yeah. from the 80s. Yeah, I think he, he probably uh, overthought it a little bit this time around. 
Yeah. Um, but, I, I thought, yeah. I, you know, I thought I, I thought I knew that that genre pretty well, but yeah. there were at least two songs I, I never heard before yeah. in my entire life. Yeah. Well, they weren't all from the '80s, to be fair. I mean, Cat Stevens wasn't from the '80s, but um, I guess that's why it was on the Zune and not on the Awesome Mix volume. Two. <laughs> right. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, although to, to be fair to James Gunn, you know, I think he's picking these songs based on how they're going to work with the mood that he's trying to set, not just that people will recognize them. And so I, mm. I actually give him credit for that. Yes, it's fun to recognize all the songs. Like the first movie was all pretty much poppy stuff. Well, that's just the point I was going to make. I mean, the first movie was, you know, he used high profile songs throughout that score. Yep. And that's why I was surprised that there were a, a few not high profile songs in, in this score. Yep. So number eight uh, didn't work was the, the unspoken romance. Um, I sort of agree and disagree with them on this, but not for the reasons they say. Uh, they say, quote, um, where's the quote line? Let's see. It says, Gunn wouldn't have even had to be subtle because the duo clearly had chemistry, history, and obviously cared for each other. One would think Quill would have delved more into hopeless romanticism after hearing of his parents' escapades, but instead, Gunn managed to give us more uncomfortable flirting between Drax and Mantis instead. Um, which is a fair point, but I, I, you know, I actually don't think they have. I, I don't think they should have ever been meant to have romantic chemistry. I, 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 I've clearly said on the podcast before, I didn't want this romance to happen, and I actually give James Gunn credit for him dangling it a little bit at the end, but not having them make out or making anything serious happen because they just don't seem, especially from, uh, from Gamora's side, I just can't imagine Gamora falling for, for Peter Quill. It has nothing to do with the actors. It's just her character doesn't seem like he, she would fall for him. I don't know how you feel about all this. Well, I, I'm glad that it was all very understated because we, we, we don't need sparks flying between those two characters particularly. So I, I'm fine that it was, it was understated and that the, uh, and that the kind of the uh, the faux romance was going on between Drax and, and Mantis. That, that 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 was more fun. Yeah. And the other reason the romance worked was there was so little of it because while Quill was you know off having daddy issues with uh, Ego the Living Planet, <laughs> aka Kurt Russell, Gamora was having amazing <laughs> violent and verbal exchanges with her sister. Yeah, having big, big sister issues. And yes. Uh, do you know, had you heard what the Bechtel test was before? No. Yeah, so the Bechtel test has to do with, can you have two female characters in a movie or a TV show with extended conversations talk about things that are majority not just about other men? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Like, you, you think a show like Friends, where three out of the six characters are women, but, you know, but they, they from my recollection, and whenever I see little clips, it's just them talking about men. Mm. And to be honest, Dad, living with two female roommates th- who are single, they do talk a lot about men. But <laughs> the reality is, in, in the real world, in, in movies, you know, it's important that women have lives for themselves outside of men. And the best way to do that with Gamora was with her sister. Yes. 
Karen Gillan doesn't have a huge resume. Uh, she was just in The Circle, which was randomly panned, which I feel terrible for Emma Watson and John Boyega about, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just, it was, it's not even considered one of Eggers' better books, I don't think. As people were puzzled as to why they made that oh. particular movie. Oh, that, interesting. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, like, there's much better what if near future, uh, you know, cyber spy type stuff scenarios. Out there. Anyways, so she was in that. She was in Guardians 1, obviously. She was a fan favorite in Guardians 1. Everyone loved nebula and guardians one mm-hmm. and, and the story about you know them being adoptive sisters of thanos and them both being mistreated but her being mistreated worse we learned more about in this one because gamora was the favored daughter of thanos and uh but uh and karen gillen wasn't doctor who most doctor who fans liked her and in Do- her doctor who uh appearances matt wasn't a huge fan um, so she's a little split in terms of people think that she's a good actress or not, but I thought she was amazing. I mean, her, in terms of non-comedy, the, the, the Gamora Nebula stuff was easily my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, she was great. There, there's no, there's no reason to, uh, to do any critique of, of, of her on the negative side. I mean, she was really good. And, she's and, very good. And, and in terms of just acting people, all you have to do is look at interviews uh, or appearances of Karen Gillan in real life. She is a drop-dead gorgeous, red-headed Scottish beauty who talks and looks and acts nothing like this character. Mm-hmm. She's sweet and she's shy. She's a little awkward. Like She's almost like a little uncomfortable in her skin. And whenever she's in public appearances, she was on Tabletop uh, uh, with Will Wheaton uh, doing a, a great uh, pirate game with Seth Green and his awesome wife, Claire Grant. And... Uh, Claire had to actually kind of um, get her to laugh and settle down during the course of the game because she wasn't a big gamer um, and she just felt very uncomfortable with these three nerds and she was not a big nerd in real life. She just happens to be in nerd properties. And so, you know, she, she was she was probably the most uncomfortable character on tabletop I've ever seen. Fish, mm-hmm. fish out of water. And ultimately, mm-hmm. she ended up having a really good time. But you can just tell that it's just, you know, some people are their characters and some people aren't, you know. And as different as Zoe is from Gamora, she's more similar to Gamora uh, than, than Karen Gillan is to Nebula. So right. it's a roundabout way of saying, I thought Karen Gillan nailed it. And I totally Absolutely. bought the arc of her turning mostly to the good side. And, and the the awkward long hug, I absolutely loved. It was great. They did a great job with the sister act. They they really did. It was really well done throughout the the, the movie. The yeah, way how they often uh, do you see that with lead female characters in movie or television that kind of yeah. arc. You just don't see yeah. it that much. No. Um, and that's why in the New York Times uh, uh, interview with, with Zoe, they brought up the Bechtel test very early on because that that was definitely a highlight of the movie for me. And by the way, people, this isn't a spoiler alert in the comics. <laughs> Uh, at least once, uh, Nebula ends up being the one to take down Thanos. Uh, and oh. Thanos is currently the big bad guy. Now, as I and some other people have been predicting that over the last year or so, it, it's possible that Thanos is, is going to fall for Kate Blanchett's character, who's similar to a character that he falls in love with in the, in the comic called Lady Death. Kate uh, oh. Blanchett's character, Hela, and Thor, I think is going to serve that purpose. <laughs> so some people are, are thinking... Well, we know the Guardians are coming in the first Avengers finale the next year, and he's going to have to come to Earth to get all the stones. So it's possible that Thanos actually gets defeated in the next Avengers movie, and the final movie is about taking down Cape Blanchett, who ends up being more evil and powerful. But either way, it seems clear that they were setting up that Nebula is going to try and kill Thanos. Mm-hmm. 
So I love that. You know, I, I, I like that they're not trying to hide it because we all know mm-hmm. it was in the comics. And just mm-hmm. by bringing her back, you're already giving us a hint that she's going to be a part of, of that. I see. But I do also like that she didn't just join up with them. Right. Um, and, uh, okay. Uh, number six didn't work. The post credits. I have to agree with this. I mean, they were clever, but I, the fact that there were so many of them, but none of them actually gave us any meat going forward. It seemed a little unnecessary. It was fun. Well, he, yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought they were entertaining. Uh, I'm, I'm never thinking about the, uh, the, the universe issues, you know, that, that are to come because that's not my thing. So I, I was just entertained by them. I thought they, they, they were fun. Yep. Um, the, the only one that has any uh, relevance going forward was when, um, uh, Elizabeth Debicki's, uh, character, um, the gold colored people, oh, um, right, teased right. the, the growth pod of Adam Warlock, who I know nothing about other than ever since the first Guardians movie was announced like four or five years ago, all the nerds want Adam Warlock in the MCU. So oh. I guess they're finally bringing Adam Warlock. Um, but I, I don't know really who he is or what he's going to bring to the table. I do know that actually, and this is a good place to mention it, that I, I've been kind of predicting this and other people have, but Kevin Feige has pretty much admitted that they're going to be going more cosmic going forward and that you know this would fit too with my prediction that this isn't the final thor movie coming up that if any of the avengers stick around past the next couple years i think it'd be chris hemsworth as thor because there's so much left to mine and the guardians for sure they've already greenlit the next guardians movie and you can do spinoffs of guardians too you know yeah universe is so big um you know they're launching the full inhumans tv show to mm-hmm. replace shield essentially um mm-hmm. and uh i think they're even airing the first two hours of of the show in in theaters around the country and then it'll be on tv wow um and they're sort of kind of cosmic they're, they're more cosmic than are portrayed on uh agents of shield currently i see because they've been saving all the main ones um hmm. and captain marvel is a cosmic character because she can fly in space and so forth being played by brie larson um and so it would make sense that they would be building up the sort of cosmic side of the universe now my concern is always can you sustain an mcu in space and star wars having a combined three to four movies a year i I think part of the reason people love the avengers is that it's earth-based um yes you know and and that's i think why in terms of the marvel movies our favorites age of ultron and uh, winter soldier are the most you know gritty earth-based movies that they've made right right Right? plus uh, x-men is great because it's it's earth-based yeah absolutely and when x-men fails it's because they try and go too big yeah you know the original x-men movies were were so uh, based in 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 ground in our modern reality um they they should have just sort of kept that formula and that's why logan worked so well and made so much money and why deadpool did so well and is going to continue doing so well but you know i mean this is just a movie making thing you can spend $200 million on trippy special effects, but give me 15 minutes of Captain America fighting with his shield. I'd pre- take that any day. Right. You know? But I think it's just us. Yeah, it's a, it's a bias. I mean, that's why I like Daredevil. It's New York yep. City. That's why I like Jessica Jones. It's New York City. I just like that. Oh, quick sidebar, and then we'll do the last couple points here and finish up. Thoughts on the new Defenders trailer? I'm actually more excited for it than I thought I'd be after seeing the trailer. And part of that's because it seems they're making the smart choice and putting JJ and Matt Murdock a little bit in front of the other two guys. I was very pleasantly surprised by by the trailer. It looks very compelling. It looks like there's uh, really good chemistry among at least 
most of them, if not all of them. Uh, I, I don't know about that guy with the hand yet, but um, Fist, was it? Yeah. What's his name? Iron Fist, Danny Rand. Iron Fist, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But um, he'll be fine as a support guy. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was very happy with it, and of course, Electra was in there, so I was <laughs> very happy about that. Yes, yeah, Elodie Young cannot wait. <laughs> oh my god! Um, it's not you know Rosario Dawson as as I've said, playing sort of the Phil Coulson team builder uh, character. Yep. Yeah. She'll probably die, but that's okay. We love her, Claire Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I will give it though. D- d- uh, Danny Rand, Iron Fist, played by Finn Jones, did deliver the the great zinger at the end that set up JJ. Where he, he's like, "What are we?" Yeah. You know, like a bl- crazy blind guy, invincible dude, and he looks at Jessica Jones, and goes, "Whatever you are," and she just goes, "Classy." <laughs> <laughs> that was a great, great line. Which is a meme, by the way. Her, her, like with her legs over the side of the chair, saying "Classy," has oh. become like an animated GIF all over the place. Perfect hilarious and the jessica jones uh twitter crew continues to make snarky comments about the other members of the team from the official jj account being like i can't believe i have to work with these guys (laughs) that's yeah right that's great (laughs) Uh, i'm excited and i think um i think that 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 i'm starting to actually feel that maybe they should consider giving daredevil another season if this goes well because Uh i i would like to see matt murdoch and jessica jones work together going forward Mm. Um, you know, and they're, and they're clearly the two best actors. Yes. Um, of the four. Yes. Um, so, uh, I'm excited. I think Sigourney Weaver was a great choice for villain. And the fact that they don't seem to be making her a pure mustache twirler from what we've seen and heard is, is, is the smart move. Yep. So excited for that. Um, all right. So just a couple more and we'll sign off. Um, well, five is a n- no brainer worked baby group. Yeah. No, no brainer. Yeah. Um, great, great, great character. Yeah. Um, didn't work. This is a continuation of earlier points we made. Didn't work forcing Quill's lineage. This isn't just about Kurt Russell. This is also about giving him superpowers and what does it mean? And yeah. um, he was able to hold an Infinity Stone in the first movie. But with all the exposition and the talking about it, it really, none of it ended up being that fascinating. Right, um, it, because it, they haven't done the work of forty years of Star Wars movies, right? So, right. the only reason Rogue One worked about telling us about this mission that was only mentioned in the opening yellow uh, sc- scroll of the original movie, mm-hmm. and we finally get the movie about it forty years later, it only works because they've had forty years of of uh, world building with you know movies, television shows, books, and comic books. Yeah, this seemed like a pretty ho-hum origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to check whether that was the same mom. I think it was. You know, she had cancer in the first movie, so it was hard to recognize her. Yes, right. So you could tell she was very pretty in the first movie, even though she was about to die. Right. Um, worked Team Unity. Yeah, I, I think their chemistry was, was, was okay, considering they weren't really together most of the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I bought, you know, Rocket... Um, yeah, the 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 long speech that uh, th- that Yandu gave to Rocket uh, about them being the same person basically could have mm-hmm. really really bombed, but because mm-hmm. Michael Rooker is such a great actor, and because Bradley Cooper's voice work, and because the animation on Rocket continues to get better, mm-hmm. I, I, that was one of the more memorable and, and cooler and touching parts of the film. Which, of course, with Yandu's bu- building towards Yandu's death shortly thereafter. Yeah, I think one of my um, one of my comments as we were walking out was uh, I, I continue to like this ensemble cast, and and uh, that's why I'm 
I'm fine with their doing a third one. I think uh, the chemistry's good amongst these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Although they, I mean, they they did not use they did not use Chris Pratt well in no. this, but that that's a different issue. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, he's a huge star now. He's got the Jurassic Park movies, and then these they're all, all already you know are, are filming or filmed for the the Avengers film. Um, the number, their, their final didn't work is interesting. They said the cosmos felt small. Cosmos felt small. And they said, um, you know, there was too much fan service, uh, with, with, you know, with, with Sly's character and stuff like that. Um, and we didn't see some of the planets that they, like, especially, um, uh, the, what's the main planet that was in the first one with with Glenn Close, uh, where the final battle mm. was? Um, mm. It was bizarre that we didn't see that planet again, especially because it's it's holding an Infinity Stone. We kept hearing about the Kree. You know, Ronan was a Kree. The Blue Kree were the big bad guys in the first one. And they just kept right. mentioning the Kree. I guess I guess what they're saying is they they could have tied in some of the stuff they introduced in the first one. Right, right. In some ways, oh. it made it feel smaller because. Oh, you know, and that yes, yes, that that makes sense. Right, that that interpretation yeah. makes sense. Like for example, in Rogue One, when we first see Darth Vader, we see that his you know his his palace is on the planet where Obi Wan basically almost killed him, turned him into Darth Vader, and you know all and he thought and thinks that he killed uh, Natalie Portman. Uh, in the prequels or whatever to kind of stew in his rage but by making it a planet that we'd seen before and had connections to you yeah. know what I mean like mm. it actually makes things feel feel bigger and the fact that mm. you know the rebels in Rogue One are based on the same planet from the original movie yeah, you know Yavin 4 we see some of the same shots and we see some of the same actors um, and stuff like that you know they were trying to connect it all together Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually really liked the jump gate scene where they had to do 700 jumps to get to the planet because that that actually looked cool to me. The sort of web of jumps, um, you know what I'm talking about with Rocket and Yondu. Sure, yeah. sure. Because it, part of the reason I like that though is because a lot of classic sci-fi, epic sci-fi, uh, uses that model where unlike Battlestar, in like Battlestar, you just can jump from any one point to any other point as long as you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, in sort of the old school uh, Arthur C. Clarke model, you know, they're, they're ancients. Um, in this one, uh, Kurt Russell was one of the, um, oh, what are they called? Not the ancients. It was one of the um, like ancient beings or whatever set up, you know, pl- uh, stargates essentially in space. Um at major nexus points around the universe. And so in order to get from a point A to like a point, you know, M very far mm-hmm. away, you have to go through every single one of those to get there. You can't just do a straight jump through it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that they would be near the planets of major civilizations and stuff. I thought was, was both cool. It was fun. It was very kinetic during a part of the movie where there wasn't a lot of kinesis mm-hmm. and, uh, and jibes with some very cool, um, you know, sci-fi tropes from some of the better books out there. So I actually thought that was okay. So I don't completely, d- d- uh, agree with this point because making a cosmos feel big in any single movie is almost impossible, which is why, you know, arguably st- Star Trek TV show when it's hitting mm-hmm. on all c- cylinders is the best way to do sci-fi on screen because you can do you know 23 26 episodes a season for many seasons to build to build it up yep you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then you do a star trek movie and you cash in on it because you've been doing all that world building so sure all right so final one here they say that you know they like the final act and it was good it just it felt like it felt too short you know um yeah 
and I, 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 as, as much as we love Elizabeth Debicki from, if, I hope I'm saying her word right, saying her name mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. As much Debicki. as we love her from uh, from Night Manager, yep. and even though I actually thought she did great here, being in all that makeup and the contact lenses and everything, I thought she was she was kind of funny and, and quirky and whatever. Uh, she mm-hmm. brought some of that to, with a character that that didn't necessarily have that. I didn't necessarily want them to be the sort of Deus Ex Machina in the end. That felt to me the most for that. They, they, th- this article c- refers to Mantis as the Deus Ex Machina. Um, you know, holding in the reveal the whole time and then giving it when they need it most, which I understand. But the real Deus Ex Machina, in terms of the action, was the Sovereign um, ships coming back in at the end. And just like at the end, oh, Xandar was the planet from the first one. Mm, remember, mm. I don't know if you remember the way back when I did my Guardians commentary, my complaint about the, Z- the Xandar battle at the end of the first Guardians was that you just had all these shiny ships that looked exactly the same. Yes, I remember that. You know, when, when you and I went to go see Rogue One, you know, you don't not nearly as obsessed with those movies, but even you can tell that there's a wide variety of ship designs. I yes. mean, you don't have to be like a major Star Wars nut or a Star Trek nut to notice that all the ships look different and act for differently. Sure. For sure. And, you know, to just have that happen again at the beginning and end of these movies, where, where they're not even flying in the ships, they're doing it it's via virtual reality remote, which was funny because they were using, um, they were using video game noises from the old, um, uh, from the old uh, video game machines from the 80s, the, <laughs> right. the 8-bit games as they call them, you know. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, the, 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 I liked sort of the satire and the way that they worked in some more 80s themes that way and all that, but it just felt a little flat at that point. And again, you didn't see Drax do a lot of fighting. You didn't see Rocket do a lot of fighting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, they, they really... Um they they really recovered excellently at the very very end of that last act with the whole yes. denouement of uh, of um, of our boy uh, uh, Yandu. Mm-hmm. So it left me with with a really good taste in my mouth because of how how excellently they executed that that death scene. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you know Star Trek Beyond was like twenty minutes shorter than this film. Oh, and you know so i remember going back to star trek beyond my second watching and being shocked at how relatively fast the midsection was where they pair off on the planet like there it was almost too short i almost wanted that to be a little mm-hmm. bit longer here especially because it was just not that engaging with with quill and ego I, I think that like the movie experience, even if they changed nothing else, and you and I still had our problems with the visualizations and the sound and whatever, if they just cut out ten to fifteen minutes of the middle, I, I think it would have just worked a little bit more. It, it was definitely bloated in in the middle, and and maybe this is a problem you'll get sometimes when only one guy writes something. I mean, there's nobody to, there to tell him that he's got to slash and burn some of this stuff that he he's written that he's in love with by that point unless your name is joss whedon yeah unless your name is joss whedon. well but he's you know he's got that other voice in his head that the critic you know is, is always breathing down his neck so that's different yeah star trek beyond was a flat two hours with credits mm. which is pretty short for these days for pg-13 mm. but Unbelievably, Star Trek Beyond only made a total worldwide sum of $343 million. Wow. Which this movie's going to beat in about four days. Right. And, hmm. and, you know, but again, that's the difference between Marvel slash Disney putting out your movie and Paramount. 
Sure. I mean, Huge difference. Paramount just doesn't have that many, uh, you know, successful uh, movies. Yeah. Um, you know, Paramount put out Ghost in the Shell this year, which was grossly and poorly marketed and advertised and explained they to the public. Blew the, they just blew that. It was such a good movie, and they, yeah. they, they blew it. And, and, and the, their highest grossing movie of the year is the Triple X movie that nobody saw. And why are they still making Triple X movies? Yeah, really. Um, and so, you know, and, and uh, Star Trek Beyond was their number one grossing film last year. And their number two grossing film was Arrival at $91 million. So I just, I I think, I think Paramount's just in total chaos, basically. Mm. Um, and, uh, it it was just really unfair to the Star Trek people. Um, because, and this will be my final thought, this was really similar, again, in structure, um, with crazy fast action beginning, tons of character stuff in the middle with not a lot of action, and then some crazy action at the end. But I thought Star Trek Beyond was more fun to watch. Uh, the effects w- were cooler and more in my aesthetic. Everything felt more kinetic. You don't need all of that color to make things exciting. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, uh, based on the performance of this movie, whether the, the almost exhausting color palette will work against sort <laughs> of the rewatchability of this movie for other people. It certainly has for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my, my two final thoughts are um, I, th- I thought the plot was like a Rube Goldberg construction. Yeah. It was just... It just, you know, the, the, uh, the batteries, you know, the whole thing with the yeah, batteries and yeah. the, it just, it, and, um, my other thought is that I'm usually really game to see almost all the movies we see a second time. I'm not so game to see this one a second time. Yeah. I, the only way I'll see this is if I'm convinced that seeing it on RPX or 2D IMAX will give me a better viewing experience. I'm going to research this mm. more because, you know, okay. I've talked about how I think, you know, the, the two really bad trends in movies is that there's fewer movies coming out every year and they're trying to make them all appeal to bigger audiences to make more money per movie because they're putting fewer out. So they're taking fewer chances. So other than, you know, Deadpool and Logan, we're just not seeing a lot of that in the, in the major franchises. Right, right. Um, and the second one is the fact that they're making most of their money from 3D movies because you know the tickets are twice as expensive. Yes, and that's part of also what started with the Avengers. I mean, Avatar started in 2009, but really with the new Marvel movies with the 3D, you know, all the money that they're getting here and overseas from the 3D is that mm-hmm. it really feels like some of these current crop of Marvel movies are being made so much with 3D in mind. And uh, I know I mentioned this to you in, in the movie theater last night, Dad, I just wanted to mention to the listeners, which is, you know, a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans, while they will see and enjoy uh, the new Star Wars films in 3D, the, the real fans tend to like to see the, the new movies in 2D at least once. Mm-hmm. And some of them will see the movie like me multiple times and never go to 3D. Whereas with Marvel, yeah. they're specifically targeting a younger kid audience, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I was shocked that they had Yondu's arrow blatantly kill so many people. That might have been the most uh, straight-up deaths that we've seen oh. in any movie, uh, <laughs> Marvel movie, other than uh, some parts of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, possibly. 
Right, right. But even right. then, when you're shooting people and they fall over, you can convince yourself they're not all dead. Here, these guys were definitively dead. So, mm-hmm. And then with <laughs> the sort of upbeat 80s music behind it, I thought that was a really bold choice. And if they had done bold choices like that uh, throughout more of the movie, I, I, it would have been more interesting. So, But uh, that being said, I still liked it slightly more than I thought I was going to. So, um, So, you know, I think that... You know, again, I, you know, I hope people look back on Avengers Age of Ultron because you look at James Gunn and you think the things that are going to make his movie not work are you know, Marvel telling him that he has to do these plot points or build up you know, for future movies. They didn't ask right. any of him, any of that from him for this film. Yeah. Like all, yeah. all the problems with this movie were completely self-inflicted. The ego thing, the planet thing, the batteries thing, the mantis thing, they were completely self-inflicted. I agree. Every single quote-unquote problem in Age of Ultron that people complain about can be chalked up to Marvel meddling ultimately. Yep. And so, um, you know, but at the same time, I'm going to give James Gunn a little bit of a break because he had huge expectations to follow up with. And at the same time, that that second movie is so difficult to do. And uh, I think that's why the Star Wars decision to have every movie directed by someone else, even the what they call the anthology movies, you know, episode seven, episode eight, episode nine, yeah. uh, is, is extremely smart, you know, mm. because J.J. Mm. Abrams' movie is going to look different than Gareth Edwards' movie. He's going to look different from Ryan Johnson's movie. It just keeps a fresh perspective. And as Joss Whedon yeah. will tell you, these movies technically are in production for two or three years, but they basically take five years off your life, you know, um, wow. especially when you're doing everything. And so mm-hmm. uh, there's no way James Gunn isn't doing three. He's already penning it. He said, I mean, this is his baby. This was never supposed to happen. So I give him pr- credit for that. So it'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. the box office totals. It's always interesting to see how the user reviews uh, turn. Um, they always go down after the first weekend, no matter the movie or the quality, because fans just, you know, the fans all see it early and then everyone else sees it. So it's interesting to see if their user reviews stay as high in the second, uh, in the second weekend, but, um, certainly not a failure. And, uh, you know, I, I think I was already not that excited for Spider-Man this summer. And while I will see Spider-Man in the theaters, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to see it opening weekend or, or like go out of my way to, Mm. Um, but I am excited for Thor because I do love great cosmic visions. I think that's just a cooler property and we've got a better director and cast and so forth. So, um, and, uh, yeah, so cool. So I guess our next, our next movie podcast will be wonder woman. Now me and you get back from our trip the weekend it comes out. So we'll probably be too tired to see it that weekend. So we'll probably see it the next week. Well, we get we get back on a Friday afternoon. We might be able to see it on Sunday. Yeah. And uh, by the way, they, uh, Gal Gadot um, and MTV uh, tomorrow night's the MTV Awards uh-huh. uh, movie award movie awards. Yeah, movie awards. I think and uh, yeah, movie awards. And uh, apparently, Gal Gadot is not only appearing, but there is some sort of Wonder Woman thing happening at the oh. at it. So I think she's going to be in costume. Would be my guess. Oh. Oh, that'd be and fun. they sort of do some sort of spectacle. So I might DVR uh, the MTV Movie Awards, which I don't normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will say, the MTV Movie Awards are the one place where nerd movies get recognition. Oh. Um, you know, they have categories for like best villain and best superhero and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Oh, well, that could be fun. So that could always be fun. So yeah, yeah. So I'm. Um, uh, and uh, just my uh, just to, to follow that, and then we'll close. Is that you know, with the homogenization of Marvel over the past few years, it's and then you have Joss Whedon. Not only do you get Joss Whedon to do a Batgirl movie, and you change the director. So the guy who replaced Ben Affleck, whose name I'm blanking on right now, to direct the Batman movie, is supposedly like really good artsy guy. 
Oh. Um, and he's also redoing the script. Um, so with Ben Affleck hopefully recovering and just able to focus on his performance in that movie and not having to direct and do other stuff. And then you bring Joss Whedon in and DC starting to correct for these early movies, uh, with like Suicide Squad and BVS that weren't received so well. And they're trying to, you know, have more humor and more diversity and stuff going forward in their movies. It'll be interesting to see whether the kind of unbroken success of Marvel uh, an, an early failure of DC in this new wave actually helps DC in the end because, uh, I, you know, I was watching some interviews with Felicia Day uh, recently and she says, she said like, I, you know, I've never learned from a success in my entire life. I've only learned from failures. And most artists will say that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that the, the Marvel, like, let's get a B plus every time. Uh, rather than let's roll the dice occasionally and maybe it'll be a C and maybe it'll be an A, I think, mm-hmm. might come back mm-hmm. to bite them. Yes. And it's allowing Fox to take chances on these rated R movies, which are doing great for them. Um, especially with the budget dad for, you know, these movies, uh, the, 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 they're actually doing better percentage wise per movie. Um, cause Logan's cost half of what these movies cost. Deadpool was like a quarter of what these movies cost. Um, and so I think, you know, allowing to DC and, and Fox to be, to be kind of darker or just kind of doing their own thing will be good, you know? And I think it, when comic books are good in one area, they're good and they end up being better in other areas. So, well, we're certainly rooting for them. We certainly are rooting for him, and uh, you know it's fun as always to see this with you. So thanks for being on. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. We welcome your your feedback as uh, as always. And um, the Bizzlecast for now is out.